yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Interviews with the biggest names in rock and metal every Thursday. New episodes. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss one and join us each and every week. You know, I was at an event last week in Mexico Uh, called The Sands, and uh, there were a lot of people there from other countries. I met a gentleman from Argentina, and sir, I know you're listening, and I'm sorry that I forgot your name, but he came up to me and was talking to me and telling me how much he listens to the podcast there in Argentina and knew me from that metal show when it aired in that country and uh, loves the podcast every week. And of course, for somebody like him, he can't get SiriusXM in Argentina, so having this podcast every week and the interviews I get to bring them uh, and bring to those audiences internationally is a huge thing. So thank you, sir. It was good to meet you there. And I'm sorry I forgot your name, but uh, shout out to you from the Sands. And to all the people I met at the Sands in Mexico, had a great week there last week and met a lot of great artists and saw some great shows. And again, met some great listeners to both this podcast and, of course, my radio show, which is where all the interviews you hear on this podcast originate. And that show is Trunk Nation on Sirius XM, and you can hear it live every day if you have Sirius or XM radio, 3 to 5 Eastern on Faction Talk. That is channel 103 on your dial. And you can always listen on demand, full shows, interviews, audio, video, more on the Sirius XM app. If you can get Sirius XM and you're only listening to this podcast, you're getting a tiny fraction of what I do on the radio each and every day. So come on board and join us. And subscribe and get rock news, get involved in the show, call in, interviews each and every day. At Eddie Trunk on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. So we got a double dip for you. Nice long one this week. Uh, First up, Alter Bridge, Miles Kennedy, Mark Tremonti, an interview that happened about two weeks ago on Trunk Nation on Sirius XM, uh, talking about their new album, Pawns and Kings, and a whole lot more. That interview was done via Zoom, so there is video for SiriusXM subscribers on the app to check out. We'll start with Alter Bridge, probably one of my favorite bands for sure of the last 10, 15 years. Their sixth album, tremendous and uh, phenomenal dual guitar, heavy rock band. A band that, for whatever reason, always gets put in like the alternative rock category. To my ears, they're just a really heavy, kick-ass, hard rock at times bordering on metal band, Mark Tremonti is actually a huge metal fan, actually. So uh, Alter Bridge first. Second will be a second recent interview with Blackie Lawless of Wasp. Now, Blackie and Wasp, I had him on the podcast a while ago, had him on the radio show a while ago. Uh, Blackie was on as they were getting ready to announce the Wasp tour. And then Blackie called in again a couple weeks ago 
uh, just before the tour was about to go out, now that they were in rehearsals. Now, the reason why I wanted to get this on the podcast for you this week is because the Wasp tour has finally started in America, their first tour in the U.S. in about 10 years. And now we know some of the answers to the questions that you'll hear me ask Blackie uh, in the interview. But of course, now that the tour has started, at the time we did the interview, the tour was days away from starting. Now it's out there on the road. So I wanted to bring you the Blackie Lawless interview, a brand new one, and for you to check out uh, with Wasp touring. So Miles and Mark from Alter Bridge first, Blackie Lawless second, a double dip on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Let's get it started with Alter Bridge. We kick off another week of rock talk with you, and what a great way to do it with a truly great band that I truly, truly do love. They've got a phenomenal new record out called Pawns and Kings. It came out on Friday. Joining us from Alter Bridge, we have Mark, the punctual Mark Tremonti. Good to see you, Mark. Good to see you. Thanks for having us. For sure. And the tardy Miles Kennedy. Miles, what happened to you? Are you pulling lead singer disease in your older age? I'm so ashamed. But I do have a very good excuse. I got a hall pass from the previous <laughs> interviewer, and it went just a little bit long. So I wasn't just hanging around by the pool. Oh, all <laughs> right. <laughs> You're busy working. I get it. We'll, we'll let you slide this time. That that five minutes just set my whole world off, Miles. You killed me. Well, I'm, I actually do feel really bad. Ask my wife. The one thing I can't, I'm so, we had a wedding to go to yesterday and we were a half hour early because I'm that guy. Like I, being late is so disrespectful. <laughs> so, so I'm not that guy normally. Oh, is that, that's a thing with you then? Oh, a big thing. Ask, ask Selena. She's, she's like, you are so weird when it comes to being late. I just freak out. <laughs> and when you're in a band with Scott Phillips, that doesn't work very well. Oh, geez. Well, he's gotten better. <laughs> He yeah. has gotten a lot better. So, yeah, Mark, who's the guy you're always waiting for? Is it Scott? Scott Phillips and Eric Friedman. Eric Friedman and Tremonti Scott Phillips and Alterbridge for sure. Yeah, those are the guys you're walking in the hotel lobby looking at your clock, like, where are they? The vehicle's waiting, all yeah. that. There's actually um, on the call sheets, they'll say band in the lobby at 4 30. Phillips will get a four o'clock call sheet. And I think he's catching on, though. <laughs> It's kind of like the same thing as like setting your clock five, five, half an hour fast or something, right? Absolutely. Uh, congratulations on the record, guys. It's incredible. Pawns and Kings, it's out now. It's, uh, man, you know how much I love your music. And um, my favorite Alter Bridge album is Fortress. And this record to me kind of almost feels like it's very much in line with that record. I don't know if I'm hearing things that I'm not hearing or what, but to me, to my ears, this is like got that super heavy sound to it. The great songs, the great hooks, the great riffs. Tell me about the mindset going into making this one. We'll start with you, Mark. Um, you know, me and miles uh, got the call from our manager about nine or 10 months before studio time. And we always go into panic mode and say, that's not long enough. We need more time to write. Cause you know, with, with COVID all, all the schedules kind of got, pushed a little bit so that was a pretty short window for us to put together a whole record so it made us work around the clock and I think in the long run it helped us because you know when you're working as hard as we were we were kind of trying to keep up with one another he's he'd put in three songs I'd put in three songs I'd put in two he'd put in two so by the time we got to the studio we were well equipped with I don't know 16 tunes and we um you know we didn't really have anything in mind other than writing the best songs possible and it turned out to be a record full of um you know, longer songs that we enjoy writing, you know, a lot of six plus minute tunes. 
Miles, let me ask you this. Um, speaking of the writing for this record, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I had heard that you wrapped up with Slash and the last show was in Florida, and then the next day you were in with Mark working on this record. Is that correct? Yeah. The next, I think it was the next day. I'd been out for like, I don't know, six to eight weeks or something with Slash and the guys. And then uh, we started pre-production the, the next day after we fin after the tour wrapped in Orlando. So yeah, it was a, a, a <laughs> it was a busy first part of the year. So how do you, how do you, where the material you wrote with Mark for this record and how it came together, if you're out with Slash, are you working on it like in the 22 hours a day you're not on stage and sending stuff to Mark and vice versa? Like where was the, where was the actual creative part of writing? When did it come for you? A, a lot of the, the bulk of the work, at least for the stuff that I've brought in was done prior to the tour when I'm, I feel like I'm most effective at home in my studio when I got everything laid out and I can do the demos the way I hear them in my head. Um, but with that said, technology is amazing now. So I could go in a hotel room on tour and get a lot of work done just with, um, you know, with what my outboard gear and my, my, my recording software and all that stuff and a guitar. So, so that technology has really helped the process a lot. It's a lot, it's way different than it was, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so that, that, that's nice. So are you, are you somebody that, you have to focus like in other words is it good for you to have gone bing 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 right into each thing or would you have preferred some downtime i mean because some people like constantly being on that treadmill because it keeps things moving if you stop some people feel like you know you're going to get complacent where does it land for you that's a good question because the fear for me is always you're going to burn out when i'm and i think that given that you know, we did walk the sky and then, um, you know, things kind of shut down, but then I did Ides of March and then went, went right into the, uh, slash four record and then into this. So I, you're always afraid you're going to burn out, but I think there's something to be said about keeping those creative juices flowing where atrophy won't set in. Right. And you don't have time to sit there and, uh, kind of stress about whether or not you can't create anymore. <laughs> you're just, you're always in the thick of it, which can be a good, a good thing. Mark, how about for you? I mean, you've got a couple things going now, too. Last I talked to you, you were doing the Sinatra record, and congrats on that. That was super well-received. And then, of course, you've got Tremonti going as well. So dedicating and, and putting your, your mind in Alter Bridge zone and writing and thinking of things with Miles and the other guys, I mean, how, how does it uh, slot in for you? Uh, you know, you, like Miles has said, if you're, if you're constantly writing, it's, gonna, it's just going to flow easily. But... Um, I think after the Sinatra record, trans, you know, getting from there to writing this album, it took, you know, it takes about a month of, of hard work to get it back flown again. So I think that's about as long as it takes for me to get back in the saddle. But um, I like to constantly be writing. You know, that's my my favorite thing to do is, is songwriting. I like it more than uh, guitar playing. You know, I, I write on the guitar. But as far as you know, that's one thing that's always um you know, bothered me throughout my career is people always consider the guitar playing stuff way before the songwriting stuff in my case. And that's, I, I think songwriting to me is way more important in my, um, in the scope of, of, of my career. And are you, Mark, are you somebody that banks riffs and ideas and will sit on them for years and then go back to them? Or do you write for the record? Um, I, I store all kinds of stuff. I mean, I have so many ideas left over, but I try to, 
act like they don't exist when I write a new record and just keep on plunging forward. And then if I need to, I can say, Hey, I need a, a bridge for this song. And I can go back and go through my files and say, all right, I need a, a bridge in this specific tuning in this uh, specific um, time signature or beats per minute. And I can find it because I've got them all logged for, so I can get them, get to them easily. What about you, Miles? Are you, do you, do you have an archive and do you call on stuff or when you're writing for a new project, it's specifically fresh, new, right in that moment? You know, that's a good question. I, I do, you know, you have this, the things you stumble across that, you know, are special, but you know what? Mark is better at organizing things than I am. I'm actually, I'm not, and especially the older I get and it's so much just my attention span. So I'm better staying in the moment, like pretty much everything that I presented for this record, I keep referring to it as being fresh out of the oven. There, there isn't one single idea that wasn't born or that was born pri really prior to about November of last year. Everything is new. And for, so for me, like Mark is good at like taking parts. He's got this part that works here and this part that works there. Of late for me, it's, I sit down in the studio, I start doing the demo process and I try to get as much done as I can. And then I like to leave, okay, I know this part here is something Mark's going to have a great idea for and then present it to him. So in, in, in that sense, I, I think we're a little bit different. Um, but I used to, we used to do a lot more of that. And, um, back in the, back in the early day, more like, you know, I was trying to integrate that part concept and I've actually got like, if you look on my phone, I mean, there's over a thousand just ideas that'll probably never see the light of day because I'm not good enough at cataloging. I'm just like, I'm not going to wade through all that crap. I'm just moving on. It's and funny. I bring this up. Well, go ahead, Mark. What were you going to say? I was going to say, and then you lose your phone and you swear you had so many hits ready to write, you know, written <laughs> in that phone. Well, by the way, on the last Metallica album, Kirk Hammett said the reason why he didn't have any co-writes on the record is because he had everything on his iPhone and he lost it and he didn't have it yeah. backed up. He lost everything. I mean, that's like a huge deal. And then I just talked to the guys in Skid Row last week. They have a new record out and I was talking about one song on the record and Snake goes, that riff in that song is older than our current lead singer because <laughs> <we, laughs> I did that like 35 years ago and I just found a way to make it work. So as a fan, I'm enamored by the songwriting process because I agree with you, Mark. To me, that's the ability to write and create great songs out of thin air. To me, that's one of the most incredible talents that I respect so much. So I'm amazed at that, like, and at the different processes that, that you guys as songwriters have. Some of it's like, no, I have to lock myself in a room and I have to be totally focused to songwriting. And others are like, oh, yeah, I dreamt that song in the middle of the night and I just did it on my iPhone. They, they can come in all different ways, huh? Yeah, it's, it's nuts. You know, I, I um, when, when COVID wasn't going on, I was doing guitar clinics at each show and I would show people how I write songs. And you, it's, it's so hard to do that because writing a song is such a, a uh, different thing for so many different people, but I try to pick a handful of ways that I can approach a song. And uh, it's, it's fun to see people's eyes light up because they realize, you know, when you, when you see the, um, you know, when you, when you take away the, uh, the veil and you show everybody how, how it's really done, um, they light up like, all right, I can do this. It's not some magical thing. As long as you have the, the passion for it and you, you just know the routes to, to take to get you started, you'll be good. Yeah. It's um so let me ask you about this record in, in, in particular, again, I, I love some of the epic nature of some of the tracks on it. I love, there's something, and I, I can't put my finger on it because I'm not a musician. And I don't know if this comes from your producer Elvis or what, 
But there's a sonic thing about Alter Bridge Records, especially on this record, where there is a bottom end thing where there's just this tightness. And when you hear bass or you hear, it's like so, it sounds so good. And for lack of a better word, so tight and the way it sits in the mix. And it really hits you when it hits you more so than other records sonically. Am I crazy or is that something that you guys work on that's intentional, something that Elvis does? Can, can either of you elaborate on that? Well, if I may, yes, Elvis brings a tremendous amount sonic to the, to the sonic uh, picture. But a lot of what you're hearing, and Mark, you alluded to this a, f- a few weeks ago when we did the listening party, is, is the, our rhythm section is, is, Brian, is Brian Marshall and, and Scott Phillips. And it's the way, not only the way they you know, have their stuff set up sonically to sounding, but it's their feel. It, 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 they are kind of to Mark and I both agree that they are, they don't get the accolades they should because it's the way they feel. It's the way our drummer feels to, like it's where he puts two and four. And that's part of what makes it so heavy. It's like his pocket. It's like just kind of, it kind of lays back in a nice way. He doesn't rush it. It just sits just right. And, and Brian, man, that guy is just his there's something about his bass lines and the way he weaves around. It's a very, it's this very serpentine thing, and it's only and only Brian does that. And what what Elvis does brilliantly is he kind of refines that. He'll sit with Brian and and help him refine those parts, and then that's that's the magic. And so I think that's a lot of what you're hearing is that is that uh, that foundation that only those two can do. Uh, you know, they have a very unique gift. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a thickness to it, Mark. I, I don't know how to explain it better than that. There's just it it's it's thick, but it's tight, and it just brings it all together because you've got your two guitars, you know, Miles and Mark, the guitars, and then the vocal over the top. But and a lot of times when I hear records that sonically have that sort of punch to it, I actually don't like them because I feel like everything's kind of too compressed and you can't hear anything else. But whether it's Elvis or the guys or whatever, the way everything sits here, we're still just punching you. I mean, you don't hear bottom end like that. You don't hear that sort of tone on a lot of records. I think it's amazing. You know, when we did, um, when we first chose Elvis as our producer, Scott Phillips had put together um a list that we had we all picked out the top five i can't remember who the producers were i don't know if you do miles but scott phillips took each producer took one of their songs and put them into a uh, playlist and then we would go maybe five or six um choices so we'd we'd hear five songs from each producer and, and we would vote on which song sounded the best not knowing which producer did it and every single time we chose elvis's mixes and, and production so that was we were just it was a we're all in on elvis because he just sounds better to us than, than all these other guys that were at the top of our list. I was going to ask you, Miles, you've never made an Alter Bridge record without him. I know he's also done a Slash record. He does your solo records. For you, what is it? Because it's very unusual to see a band, in the case of Alter Bridge, stay with one guy to produce all their records throughout their entire run so far. You don't see that often at all anymore. Um, obviously, the, the, he really is seems to be like a fifth member of the band. Yeah, if if I if I could interject, Ben Gross did do the very did do Wonder Remains, and Ben's great. Oh, I'm sorry, ben, he did the first. Okay. Yeah, and and Ben's Ben's amazing. We really enjoyed yeah. working with him. Um, but I think the thing with Elvis, the reason that it we've always gone back to him is that, yeah, if it ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, we we were so happy with Blackbird, and then we were so happy with AB3, and and there's just not only is he a great producer, he's a great human being. He he, you know. I, 
we look at him, he is, he's kind of like the unofficial fifth member. And, uh, I personally, I don't know about you, Mark, I look forward to making records with Elvis because not just because we enjoy the process, but just getting to hang with him. He's funny. He's, he's got a big heart. And I, 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 I know that doesn't, that's going to take away the rock cred, but <laughs> there's something to be said about that. You know, making a record's really hard. There's a lot of pressure and to have somebody at the helm with those, those personality traits really makes it an enjoyable process. Yeah, well, that's and you want to at this point in your career, you want to be able to enjoy it. Now, the other thing that jumped out at me about Pawns and Kings is, to my ears, it sounds like the two of you are singing more together than maybe I've heard in recent, maybe ever. Now, obviously, on uh, you've got a lead vocal on here, Mark, it, with the song "Stay," which is a great track, and then you hear. Obviously, Miles's voice on there. One of my favorite songs on the record is "Sin After Sin," which you you know I'm hearing Mark sing some lines in that. So, Mark, we've talked about your evolution as a singer, really coming full circle now, tackling Sinatra recently. But um, is that something that you guys went into this record wanting to maybe blend your voices even more across the whole album? Uh, it's not something we really discussed. I think everything just happens naturally and, and whatever feels right at the moment. Um, but on this record, you know, I, I remember Miles had uh, had to get his vocals done and, and head on. I think I think you're heading out on tour. Um, so when I went in to do backup vocals, Elvis was like, all right, I got all these songs we need to hit. Miles, Miles did, you know, songs like um, This Is War and a handful of them that just suited his voice. Um, for some of the higher background vocal stuff. And then I came in and filled in all the gaps. But I think during the process was when, after we had turned in all the demos, I think Miles was like, well, why don't you sing Stay? Because I think the the lyrics and the and melodies were pretty much worked out at that point on the on the verses and the choruses. So I I always say, if, if there's a karaoke mic going on, I'm on it. I love singing. Anytime I get a chance to sing, I'm not going to say no. Miles, is that something that uh, so it sounds like it's just something that happened out of necessity, but I think it's it's yielded a really cool thing because as Mark continues to grow as a singer to my ears, it's another whole extra weapon into the Alter Bridge mix. Yeah, to me, it's an important part of the uh, what, what Alter Bridge is becoming. You know, I think that for, for me, I always look at bands that I love and, and, uh, you know, I look at the Beatles and I look at the period of deep purple with, with, you know, both Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale and then fast forward to like Mastodon where you have multiple singers. And I feel like it, it, it makes it really interesting for the listener, but it also, I think it makes it funner for the band. And especially when you have like with Alter Bridge, Mark loves singing. I love playing lead guitar and we're both very, um, I think understanding of that and we respect the other guy's ability and then let them spread their wings on certain songs on the record. And so having that selfless approach to creating the music, um, just, I feel like it elevates the whole thing. And, and with Mark, his, how his voice is, I always thought, I thought he had a great voice. I remember when we were working on one day remains and he playing some of the ideas that he had. And I was, I remember thinking to myself, 
why am I here? Why? <laughs> like at one point I was like, why aren't you just, why didn't you just sing in this band? I'll go back to Spokane and teach guitar. And uh, <laughs> I could play, I could play you some of those demos. I don't think you'd agree with my <laughs> I always thought he had a great, a great sounding voice. I think the timbre of his voice is really great. And, and so it's been great to see him harness that over the years and and especially now obviously with the uh with the with the sinatra project you know now that's taking it into a whole new realm and and he's really you know blossoming and evolving and 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 it's the confidence that i'm starting to really see uh and when you add that confidence with good natural ability then it's like okay now now we're into a whole new realm and it's been really fun to watch that evolution i was going to ask Everybody. you miles as a as a great singer in your own right what were your thoughts when you heard Mark Sinatra record? I thought it was amazing. It was, it was almost, it's in fact, it's funny because yesterday I was at a wedding and the, the dance, the wedding dance, they played a, a Sinatra song and I was so used to hearing Mark singing it and suddenly <laughs> I'm hearing Sinatra sing, and it was kind of like, I was like, what's Oh yeah, that's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and so, so yeah, it's been, I, you know, it's, it's really great because, you know, when he, when I first heard he was, he was doing it, I was like, well, I thought to myself, well, I know the timbre of his voice, like he's a baritone. So that could work, you know, how's, how's this going to, how's this going to come to fruition? And, um, so hearing it, it was like, wow, that's, that's really great. And I think that the, the, for me, the other thing that's just amazing though, is it's for this amazing cause. Right. Yes. And there's, so there's a lot of love, uh, you know, and a lot of just the good, the, there's a humanity to it. I think that really makes it even more special. Mark, have you gotten offers to sing at weddings yet? <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Any, anytime I get a, a chance to put these guys on stage together, it's, I'm in. I, I absolutely love it. I have a, uh, I have a show in London coming up after the Ultra Bridge show. I'm really excited. And then we're going to come back to Orlando and do another one here this, before the end of the year. So I can't wait. So you've done live shows with the Sinatra thing? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We um we've done two shows, actually three shows now. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I played at uh, the, the Steinmetz Music Hall, which has been rated the best sounding hall in the world. And uh, it was the guy who built it retired and had us play his retirement party, which was it was awesome. I remember being backstage and telling my friend or telling my manager, I you know a year ago we were or a year and a half ago we we're talking about doing this project, and here we are. Wearing a tux, ready to go on stage with the mayor introducing us before stepping on stage with 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 Frank Sinatra's band. I was just scratching my head, like, how did we get here? But it's uh, it's been a really exciting project, and I I absolutely love it. It's uh, it's something I want to keep on just trickling in shows as these Ultra Bridge tours happen. You know, I'm good friends with the uh, you know the metal band Overkill. Yeah, absolutely. Didi, their bass player. Uh, around the same time you came out with Sinatra, I'll send you a link to, to check it out. He came out with like a big band that he's doing where he's singing and you'd never know it was him. And he sent wow. me a thing. He goes, you know, Mark Tremonti, right? He's like, we got to put this on the road. The two of us got to go out together. You know, these two heavy <laughs> rock guys doing completely different things. And I, I said to him then, I said, I don't know if you didn't know if you're going to do live shows with it, but it's cool that you did. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to try and do as many as I can, but it's, it's much harder to put um, 17 or 18 guys on stage than it is four or five. It takes a lot of logistical uh, foresight. So it's, it's been tough. 
Uh, let's talk about touring with Alterbridge because that's coming up. I, before we got on the air, I said you guys are both home, which must be nice, but it doesn't last very long, I know. So you're hitting the road uh, in a couple of weeks. And we've talked about this before. For people that don't know, Alterbridge are – you guys are an arena headlining act in uh, throughout Europe, and I know you're going to start there. Talk about the tour and then uh, coming back into the U.S. I know you start in the U.S. early next year. Uh, I imagine now with the Alter Bridge catalog being pretty extensive, figuring out what you're going to play is becoming a bit of a challenge. Would that would I be right in that, Miles? Uh, that's an understatement. Uh, so Mark and I spoke the other day. Um, we were very happy to, you know, we thought we had a really good song <laughs> that's put together, right? So Marco goes ahead and, and writes it out and then she does a, a text to the band and our manager and, and all of a sudden, I just re I recently saw this because I'm, I'm not really good with my phone anymore. And it's like all this. Well, what about this song? What about this? And what about that? And just like you can't win when once you've got seven records under your belt, you're going to you're not going to be able to play all the songs people want to hear or want to well, play or whatever. So, yeah, it's so I don't funny. Know. It's like uh, when you put some online, you know, different fans will say, well, we want to see this song or that song. It's the same thing within the very band you're in. You put the set list together. What about this one? What about this one? So as soon as I put this up there. You know, Brian's, what did he, I need, we need Dying Light and we need this right. and that. Like we can only learn, you know, this is just the first set list that begin the set. We can, we can change from here. So we don't want, you know, we have a lot of people that will come to the entire tour. They'll come to eight shows, they'll come to nine shows, they'll come to the whole thing. And we want, we want to make sure that there's, um, you know, at least a handful of songs that we change throughout the, you know, throughout this, uh, this tour. Yeah, yeah and ask you about that. Do you guys lock in and like some bands lock in? They like Iron Maiden does that. We don't. They don't change a thing every night. It's identical. But or others will change out. You, you, it sounds like you guys are up for subbing some stuff out from night to night. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely up for having audible. So I mean, we used to do that back in the back in the day. We kind of keep the set list the same. But once, like Mark said, you realize you have fans that come to all these shows. You're like, well, it'd be good to mix it up. You know, the hard part for me, it's it's tricky because I think, I don't know how many songs we had up there. It was it was well over 20, whatever, and trying to figure out what to what to do. But for me, it's a bit of a challenge because the guitar parts are hard enough on their own, right? And then to also have to get the vocals in. So it's a little easier for Brian to go, oh, what about Dying Light or what about this obscure track? And I'm like, well, that's great. But you realize that's like, that's another week's worth of rehearsal <laughs> for me. I feel it, you know, this last decade of doing Tremonti, I feel your pain. After all these years of being that guitar player, listening to the singer go, oh, this is hard or that's hard. So I get it. I get <laughs> Thank it. you, Mark. I Thank get you. it, totally. It's, 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 a, it's a much, much more difficult thing having to play guitar and sing and worry about your health and getting enough sleep and drinking enough water, not partying with the rest of the guys. It's a responsibility. It's uh, and, the lonely life of a singer. And you guys, you guys have, by my estimation, when you look at doing a set list, I mean, I've seen the band several times and you, you do pretty close to a solid two hour set when you play. Um, but now you're in that position where you probably have, I don't know, off the top of my head, maybe eight to 10 songs that have to be in there every show. Right. There's, Would you, am I about right on that Mark? You got the notes in front of you. There are 12 that we absolutely have to play. Run them down and for me. Metal Angus, rise today, blackbird, Watch Over You, Isolation, Cry of Achilles, Addicted to Pain, 
We now have to play the other side because our friend The Edge was was uh, friendly enough to make that one of his new theme songs, and it just blew up online. Um, Silver Tongue, our new single, uh, Pawns and Kings, title track, Sin After Sin, and This Is War. So the four tracks that we released before the record came out, I think we're pretty much, uh, we have to play those as well. So, so how much time is that about to play? Is that like an hour? Uh, you figure about five minutes a song with this new album. They're a little longer, but um, yeah, when we when we set out, you know, when we put the track listing together, it's you, five minutes a song is usually pretty safe. Yeah, so you, you, that gives you about another forty to fifty to play with to maybe do a deep track or do some different things that you guys want to do. And then where does that decision come down from? Uh, traditionally that falls on the singer miles like this, the lead singer usually makes the final call on what flies and what doesn't. Are you the guy that says yay or nay at the end of the day? No, no. I, you know, I feel like I just try to be aware of how it's going to, uh, you know, how many, in fact, that was interesting. Mark and I were talking the other day and kind of rating the difficulty vocally of each song, which helps give us an idea of how to pace the set. Um, how many of these more difficult songs to, to have in the set at the same time. So I, you know, Mark alluded to it um, a few minutes ago, which is really great for me to hear just understand being more aware of kind of the challenge of, of the human voice and especially with the rock, hard rock band or metal band or whatever, I mean, you're pushing hard. It's a lot of it's higher. And, and so there's a, there's a, it's a delicate dance, right? And you want to pull it off appropriately. And, um, I think that, um, so I will make it known if it's something it's like, okay, look, if we, if we do these in this order in the same night, it's gonna, it's going to affect things and it's not going to go well. <laughs> so in that sense, I might make the final call, but, but we are very much a, a rock and roll democracy here in Alter Bridge. And I'm not going to come and say that we're not doing this and we're doing this and, you know, blah, you know, I'm not going to be that guy. So, uh, we hear each other out. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you about the, um, the Blackbird club. Is that essentially your fan club, Mark? Is that what we're talking about? Is uh, I saw that online on your website. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure to be honest with you. I know there's so many different fan fan groups now. I'm sure. No, but I think is, this is like your official website, like sign up, become a member and all of that. Um, Sounds you know, like something I'm, I'm like, you better, you better check I'm your like own Miles. website. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hands off with other, you know, I get on Instagram, I post to Instagram and, and Twitter and, and um, you know, I'm kind of like miles. I keep my head buried and just keep on writing and putting stuff out and, Right, but I this isn't social media. This is your website saying people sign up to become a member of the Blackbird Club. So you might, you might want well, to find out. Well, I tell you what, I've been, <laughs> I've been working hard on this fan site, so I hope everybody signs up. No, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. The re it's, it looks like it's a, it's a fan club where people sign up. And the reason why I brought it up, because I saw it on your website, on the official mm -hmm. Alter Bridge site, but I'm wondering, like, as kids – did you, either of you ever join a band's fan club, like the Kiss Army or what have you? Did you ever sign up? Um, Miles, were you ever in a band's fan club? No. <laughs> you never I, sent the voucher I, I, in? or I never sent the voucher in, no. <laughs> Mark, you I must have did. been in the Merciful Fate fan club or something, I'm <laughs> thinking, right? I mean, I, I was just, I'm a massive fan, but the only time I ever sent anything in... Um, I remember I sent in a thing from a magazine to get a free Power Mad record. And I think you joined the, the list or whatever by sending that in. So I still have that tape. But and, uh, uh, that's about it. 
and you know, you mentioned Walk the Sky, the previous record a minute ago, that, that kind of got, that record got a little shortchanged in some ways because of COVID. I remember just before the lockdown, you guys were the last show that I actually saw because you played the Will Turn in LA. And then that's kind of when the gate came crashing down shortly after that. Do, do you feel that that record maybe got lost a little bit because of COVID? Do you feel that it maybe didn't get the, you, you, you didn't get to give it the proper push that you wanted to given, you know, the pandemic? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We yeah. definitely feel that. And, and so we're going to represent it heavily in this tour because of that. We're going to try. And we, we actually talked about that the other day as well of making sure that we, we have a few of those songs in there. Cause I actually have done enough interviews with, with people who've asked that same question said, Hey, for, for the people who didn't get to see you perform any of those songs live, are you planning on rolling a few of those tracks out? So absolutely. Yeah. yeah and a, you're so a couple ahead, of, of each, record. even, even putting two songs on each record, you're, you're almost have a full set list. So um, we're going to try and get at least a couple of each of, of songs off of each record. And that's digging deep as it is. We, we can't do four songs up each record. We have too long a set. Right. And your support acts in, I know for Europe, if I, it was what I was looking at was right. You had an amazing bill put together. Who's going out with you in Europe, Mark? Uh, we got Hailstorm, Mammoth, um, and um, yeah, I mean, we've we've toured with with Hailstorm before, and it was an, an excellent tour. I think on that tour, we might have had Blackstone Cherry as well. Do you remember Miles? Yeah, that was back in what was that 2014? I believe I believe so. I believe it was Blackstone yeah. Hailstorm. Yeah. And so Hailstorm, Hailstorm, and Mammoth together, tremendous. I mean, what what a night! And when you play in America starting in January, what's the bill going to be here? Uh, Mammoth will be on the bill as well. And, and Red will also be on the bill. And speaking of the, the uh, European tour, I believe it's the first time Mammoth will be performing in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, we did a lot of press uh, when me and Miles went over to Europe for this record. And a lot of people were very excited about seeing them over there because, uh, you know, this will be their first, their first chance. And I see Wolf on social media hard at work on the next record. So maybe even some new music to coincide with when he goes out or shortly afterwards, which would be great. Gotcha. So I just got a message from our manager saying the Blackbird Club is the <laughs> uh, fan club on the uh, on the site. So, yes, we've been working hard. On the site. <laughs> me, and, me and Miles are very involved. We knew in all along. <laughs> we knew all along. We're just playing <laughs> with the Eddie. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> you know, it really does speak volumes, though. Mark and I are so, it's so funny. Like, we are such the creative weirdos who live in our little creative world and just kind of tune everything out. And so, yeah, you caught us. Trying to help you push your fan club and get some members. You're like, I have no idea what this is. Is some social media thing? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what, what new record? Well, we wrote some songs. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Pawns and what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this speaking of i was just thinking i just this just came to mind we should do a version uh instead of pawns and kings and it'd sell it to some something i don't know some some food or what do you think prawns and wings <laughs> i think it could be huge I, I, prawns I, and I wings so. and uh, <laughs> all right. On that note, let me just let me just ask you guys um i know you've carved out alter bridge time and i know that's probably going to be the bulk of or at least through most of next year or through half of next year. But uh, individually, like I said, you each do different things. Miles, speaking of a record that, and I talked to Slash about it 
the last record for was a killer record and that there was a very short window that you were able to work that record predominantly because of his schedule with guns, I, I would imagine. And uh, I said to Slash, I said, do you think you'll even be, be able to get another, another run of dates in for that? And he said, we'll see maybe sometime next year. Um, what's your, be, you know, looking at your solo stuff, looking at your stuff with Slash, I know you guys kind of lay this out. What's the timetable for you on some of the other things you work on? You know what? That's a good question. Um, and I, you know, it's funny. I've been, everything is always like two years out. It seems like you always kind of have a good idea. Um, I know for certain next year, all of 23 will be uh, Alter Bridge. And, and so regarding the solo thing, regarding uh, Slash the Conspirators, we'll see what happens after that. I, I'm not sure. I, re I really, nothing is set in stone at this point. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, there's so many variables now too, with just how strange the world is. And it's so, it's so, it's so it's different, you know, like five years ago you go, yeah, and this and this and this is going to happen. I think we're all just keeping our fingers crossed that <laughs> where we're about to, with the, the tours we're about to embark on, we want to make sure that all goes without a hiccup, right? It's, there's just so many variables. And Mark, you had said that uh, you, you'll do some Sinatra shows when you can do them. And then you've really built Tremonti into something, too. I, I saw you on some festivals a summer or so ago. Um, what's your plan on that? Uh, so I'm writing right now as, as you know, as, as much as I can to be ready for whatever comes next. Um, we have a break, I believe, in April. And I plan on getting into the studio with another surprise little pro project that I was speaking to my manager about that I want to have happen we just got to put the pieces together but uh, you know i want to be clear to our fans even though if we do these oddball projects we're still putting out records all the time so you can't come you know you got to be happy with with letting us go do our own thing so every now and then so this project would be one of those different kind of things so i'm excited about it wait are we gonna get like mark tremonti sings charday or what are we talking you know, about you, you, you never you never know i want to keep you guessing Tremonti's tribute to men at work. I mean, I'm not sure what we're looking at. What, <laughs> that's, a, what are you doing? that's a good, that's a good band. A good I don't one. think I can sing as high as he can sing. <laughs> and it works tough. <laughs> well, whatever it is, man, I look forward to hearing it and uh, it's all great stuff. And I, as a huge Alter Bridge fan, congratulations on the record. I love it. I'm so glad you guys are active and doing this. I can't wait. That bill in Europe is insane. That's going to be with Hailstorm and Mammoth. What, three real live 100% kick-ass bands. That is an amazing bill. I'd love to see you guys bring that to, to the U.S., but uh, I look forward to the U.S. shows coming in January as well, and it's great to see you guys. We'd love to put the invite for you to travel over there and see it yourself. It'd be awesome. I would love to do that, man. That would be very cool. I would love to do that. There there was a day where they – there was a day, Mark, in the in the music industry where record labels and people used to actually do that for people in the media. Doesn't happen yeah. anymore. But there was a day when that happened. But but yeah, uh, if I can well, get over there, I'd love to. I'd love to catch one because I hear you guys are a whole different world over there. I would love for you to see it, man. Absolutely. Well, listen. Great to talk to you. Congrats on the record and um, enjoy the time home. I know it's short lived. Appreciate that. Thanks, brother. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks to Miles Kennedy and Mark Tremonti. Greatly appreciate those guys coming on and uh, check out the new album, Pawns and Kings, which is out now. And if you have SiriusXM, check out the app. There should be, if not already, some video of that entire conversation coming there as well. I promised you a second interview. It's with Blackie Lawless of Wasp. This interview happened a couple weeks ago. It was an update to an interview I did with them about six months ago. 
At the time we did it, Blackie was prepping to get on the road with the band in a matter of days. The tour has now started and is out there on the road. So I thought I'd bring you this interview uh, with Blackie Lawless. Enjoy. Joining us now live on the phone is the one and only Blackie Lawless. How are you, bud? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, It seems like just yesterday we talked, but it wasn't. It was really quite a while ago because at that point the tour had only been announced. And now in the six months or so that it's been, uh, the response to this, Blackie, I was saying to the audience before you came on, has been incredible. I'm hearing from friends and people I haven't heard from in years saying, hey, are you going to catch a Wasp show? We're really excited about this. You guys got to feel great for you, huh? Well, and that's in no small part to yourself because you are the guy that has held this fort down, you know, in this genre where there's really not been a lot of support in a lot of areas. And so that uh, that makes you the godfather now. <laughs> well, thank you, man. As I told the audience, you and I have a lot of history. You were one of my first interviews mm-hmm. 40 years forty years ago, if you can believe it, next year. We've yeah, both been doing this. <laughs> but but we both started really young, right, Blackie? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, I hadn't even been born yet. I was telling somebody <laughs> the other day about, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I told you early before, our, when we had done the, the interview before that, when I was putting all this stuff together, the idea of doing a book came to me, and I was working a little bit on it the other day. And, you know, the whole idea of maturity and all that stuff really started to, to come into my head. And I, and I don't mean where I am in my life now. I'm just talking about in life in general. And I was thinking, you know, that I was one of those people that was a late bloomer. You know, I was in my mid, you know, it took me really before I turned 30 years old. I was really in my mid-40s before that happened. You know, so it was just like... You know, I was one of those guys that's been allowed to live in arrested development, you know, which hey, you know, along those, do. along those lines, something I never asked you before that I'm curious about when you talk about your earliest years. And of course, you were in some bands prior to Wasp and all of that. When when did you first adopt the name Blackie Lawless and where did it come from? What was the inspiration for it? Well, I've had it since I was about 13. Uh, well, the first part anyway. Um, my mother was from Houston originally, and there was a guy there that had that, that first name, Blackie, and apparently he was some sort of local gang member. And my mom had worked for the USO during the Second World War, and she was, she was a professional dancer. You know, at, um, you know, they would do these shows, they would go around to service clubs. And this guy walked in one night, and he got into an argument with, with one of the, uh, the sailors, that was there, and he took a, a a switchblade and he stuck it in the guy in his stomach and walked around the guy with the blade in him. Ooh. So he did a circle around his body. And I heard that story, and it left a lasting impression. And, uh, you know, so the color of the hair and all that, it just stuck. You know, so it's been with me ever since. And where did Lawless come from? It just sounded cool with it? No, I was, I, well, I thought it, you know, it definitely had a ring to it. But really, and I know you being a football fan, you're probably going to laugh at this, but during the 70s, there was a guy that played for the Dallas Cowboys. He was an all-pro center named Burton Lawless. And, uh, you know, I, the back of their jerseys with that name on it, I, that was, I couldn't resist that, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Does anybody call you by your birth name at all? Uh, if I go someplace where somebody doesn't know me, but very few people do. And, you know, I said even before my mom passed away, you know, she used to call me Blackie. And I said, you know, when your mother calls you by that, you know that's your name. You know, so, <laughs> uh, I asked the same question to Alice Cooper if anybody ever called him Vince. And I think right. he said only one, I think only one person, I forget who he said, but it was pretty funny, uh, calls him mm -hmm. that. But uh, yeah, that's, it's always something I've known you forever, but I never knew the origins of that. All right. So tell yeah. me about, um, get us updated on what's happening, because when we talked, uh, you, you, you hadn't even started rehearsing. You hadn't started working up the set. You hadn't started working up the stage show, although you certainly had a concept. Now you're full on, you're starting in Vegas in like, less than 10 days. Uh, give us the update on how everything's going. From the time we started talking to the point where it is now, one thing led to another, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And production-wise, and I'm going to just be absolutely honest with you right now, we are taking an arena-sized show into theaters. And that there is no way I can over-exaggerate that. This thing is huge, and it's barely going to fit. But it just one idea led to another, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and consequently more expensive because of it. But um, it just, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get one time in my life to do this, a 40th anniversary, and we're going to do it right. And we're going to make this the literally the biggest and best show we think we've ever done certainly since headless children in, in 1989 that was a big show and it was expensive to do and this is actually technically bigger physically bigger than that i mean i'll tell you it, it goes back to the idea of inside the electric circus back in 87 and what happened with that was i had this idea of doing something that looked like a 1930s carnival, something more like an old sideshow more than a circus. And that was my original germination of the idea. And so because we were moving into arenas then, people were telling me, well, you know, it needs to be bigger. People in the back of the room need to see it. It's got to be flashier, da-da-da-da-da. And so it grew and grew and grew as well. But it started to morph into this thing that started to look more like Vegas. And when it was finished, it was big and it was impressive, but it wasn't exactly what my vision was. And we've just, we've done that this time, and we're staying true to it. This thing now, when you walk in, you're going to see these giant circus banners. There's 16 of them on the stage, and these things are huge. They're like, you know, 10 feet tall by 8 feet wide. I mean, the the, the top of the stage set goes to 16 feet all the way around, and it's it's almost 40 feet across. And within that, there are there are projection screens that you won't see right away. They'll come later in the show. But when you walk into this, it's going to look like a combination 1930s sideshow circus carnival meets Road Warrior meets some voodoo ceremony. I mean, it is a combination of a lot of things that we've done over the years, and it's a hodgepodge of stuff that we didn't think could work to begin with. We thought, you know, trying to combine those many elements was going to look like a train wreck. But we found a guy uh, who specializes in doing circus banners. He, they're all hand-painted, and 
they are cool looking. When you see them, you're you're gonna everybody's gonna smile when they see this because it is so cool and so authentic looking. And so the, there's only two guys left in the United States that paint these things, and this guy is one of them. And so he helped really put all this together, and it has been a enormous mountain of work to get this show ready. And like I said, I'll say it again, we're taking an arena-sized show into smaller venues. So are you going to be able to put everything in some of these places, or depending Every upon night. the venue, is there yeah, some stuff you're going to have to leave in trucks? Nope. We believe, you know, based on the research that we've done on the venues that we've done. I mean, when you're playing theaters, you know, they're proscenium-sized stages, and, you know, you, there's a lot of ceiling height. And so we uh, one of the, the one of the biggest problems we ran into was lighting, because the stage set will block the vast majority of the lighting that already exists in these places. So we're having to bring lighting with us, and because of that, it's going to have to be foot lighting. Now, with today's technology, that lighting can do things it could not do even 10 years ago. I mean, this stuff is amazing looking, but it comes from the floor. And because of that, it creates the old footlight effect, you know, the old limelight circuit, which was in theaters to begin with. Now, when this band first started, that's what we used the vast majority of the time because the way the lighting looks nowadays, everything comes from overhead, and it gives you that big show look. When it comes from beneath, it creates shadows, and it does all kinds of things that you don't get from overhead lighting. And I love that effect. I always have. You know, I mean, for me, it probably goes back to, you know, some of the psychedelic bands that came out of the 60s because they all used foot lighting back then. But mm -hmm. nobody does that anymore. And the effect it creates is devastating. You know, so it all, uh, that we did not plan from the beginning. It just sort of happened because the stage set grew. But it ended up being one of those good mistakes after it was all said and done. Again, you know, it adds onto the toll you know, of, of the cost of everything that goes up. But I saw this stuff. My lighting director came in and he showed me, he says, if we're going to do this, this is what we need. And it blew me away. I mean, the stuff's all computerized now. And you can take LED lights, which is what they are, and those things can be focused where they look like lasers now. I mean, it, it's amazing technology. And, and as far as the material you're going to play, when we spoke to you last, you were still kind of figuring that out. Obviously, this is 40 years celebrating, so you want to touch on the whole catalog. But have you fine-tuned a set list that you're, you're pretty comfortable you're going to go with every night? Or do you envision changing some stuff out as you go? Well, we're hoping to change stuff out as we go, and we're doing that on purpose. But I just got off the phone with Jim Rota, who says hello to you, by the way. I'll uh, send him Jim my best. Is, uh, right. Jim is a great guy, and for people that don't know him, he's a, you know, he's a producer now and has been doing that for quite some time for uh, doing film. As a matter of fact, he, he did uh, you know, the, the Foo Fighters, the Studio 666 and things like that. So he's putting the video stuff together, and we're going back and forth over the pictures that we're using for this now because it's pretty in-depth, and all this has, stuff has to be cut to to uh, to the music that's going on in the show, so it's really the best way I can describe this show, and I hope this doesn't put people off. But the best way I can describe it 
it's not so much like a rock band out there playing as much as it is a Broadway play because it's choreographed in every song. Now, it's still going to look like a rock band when you come out there, but they won't recognize, or, and nor, do, nor does the audience really need to understand the technology that's going on behind it. But to get all these elements to work in sync with each other, there's a boatload of work that's gone into it. And the rehearsals that we're into now with it, to make this stuff all play at the same time, it is, it's hairy. I mean, it really is. When we did Headless in 89, that was, we were only the second band to ever use film then. Pink Floyd had, had used it before us. And the technology was really, really primitive at the time. So we went to them and we said, okay, well, how'd you do it? And so, you know, they gave us what, you know, the information they had, and we worked on it from there. But even still, we had to pioneer a lot of stuff to get it to work. Well, most everybody uses it now in one way or another, but the way we're doing it now has turned out to be enormously complicated again because the stops and the starts in the show and that's another thing that when this show starts, because of the technology involved, we're hoping to not stop this thing because once it starts, it's very, very difficult because everything is so rigidly timed. It's very difficult to get this to stop. And I know this might sound like a, a bunch of hodgepodge to people right now because, like I said, there's it's kind of like opening a watch. You know, you can... You know, most people just use it to tell time, but most people never open it up to see what makes a tick, literally. And But that is what's going on with here. It is enormously complicated. But I don't want, when people come to the show, I don't want them to stop and think about, well, how'd they do that? Because it ends up looking like a magic trick. You know, we just want this thing to, you know, to work as smooth as it can. And to be honest with you, we are not to that phase yet. We hope to be finished with all of it this Friday. So as far as parts interchanging, uh, TBA come 48 hours from now. Mm. The tour kicks off October 28th in Vegas. All the dates are listed at waspnation.com. Blackie, I'm curious for you. I mean, what was your personal preparation like to get ready to do this tour? For people that don't know, this might be your first run in America in a long time. But you, Wasp and yourself, you know, you were active in other parts of the world touring for a while. So it's not like you've been inactive for 10 years. But from a personal standpoint, vocally, physically, what's the preparation been like getting ready for this? It was interesting because back in the mid-90s, I went through a period where I went in the studio and hibernated for about two and a half years. And so when it came time to do the tour, I had not been on stage in three years. And I remember going into rehearsal the first day, and they handed me a guitar, and I stood there and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I felt like a fish out of water. I thought, I don't know how to do this. And the whole first day, I just kind of fumbled around and, you know, literally bumping into walls. And I thought, I don't belong here. I don't know how to do this anymore. And so it took about two days to, to get a grip on it. And I thought, well, when we get ready to start this this time, because we've done three shows already this year, and I thought it's probably going to be similar to what happened before. But you know what? Surprisingly, it wasn't. And not only was it not like that, it was it was a total 180. And, I'm, and I don't know why it happened, but I went into rehearsal, and it was like I hadn't been there in a week. And we were playing, 
And honestly, Ed, I felt this joy I've not felt in a long, long time. And I can't tell you why, but I just remember I just felt this joy while we were playing. And so we went to Sweden to do the first show, and we walked out, and maybe it's been there all along, and I never saw it. But I saw a joy on people's faces that was reflecting what I was feeling inside. And I thought, you know, I don't know, like I said, maybe it was there all along, and I just never saw it. Maybe this is a result of what happened with the pandemic, you know, where people are finally just able to get out now and do things. Maybe it's a little of all of it. I don't know. But whatever it is, I like it, you know, because, like I said, it's I'm having more fun right now doing this than maybe certainly since the beginning, and maybe even more so than that because I've got more experience now. So, you know, I, I know what to expect with a lot of this, but I'm just – I'm having fun, like I said, that I just haven't had in a long, long time, and I don't know why it is. And, and for me personally, it wasn't because of the pandemic, because, like I said, I'm used to going in the studio and, and hibernating as it is, so that's nothing unusual for me. Uh, I mean, I, when I'm in the studio, I could the whole world could be falling down around me, and I wouldn't know. you know. So I've been fortunate in that sense to live a very nomadic existence. You know, but I don't know what's different this time. But whatever it is, um, you know, I'm taking it with both hands. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, the big questions from the Wasp fans that uh, I don't know if you're ready and prepared or or can answer yet. But the one question is, will the raw meat be back? <laughs> and the second question is, will you play Animal Live? Can you answer either of those All yet? All those things. All those things can be addressed, but I don't want to say anything until I know 100% of what I'm talking about. Now, as far as the meat, that, how do I answer this? It's All these things are going to be done, but the technology that we're using to do it, even if I could tell you, I don't think it would make sense to you. I think you're just going to have to see it. <laughs> so the answer is yes, but not exactly the way you might think. So Is the answer I, yes to Animal, too? Answer. Are you giving a definitive yes to Animal coming back? Uh, we have not played the song in rehearsal yet. So oh. that's I, I can't tell you. Well, that if, you, if you're like uh, less than 10 days out and you've yet to run through it, that probably bodes against it being in the set, I would think. But then again, I'm sure you could put it together pretty quickly. Probably. But <laughs> there are certain things that are out of my control right now. So, like I said, I don't want to say anything until I Friday is going to be the reveal day. So we'll know more then. All right. Well, we'll know more then. And, and you know, you got, I mentioned to you the, the people I'm hearing from. Like, I'm hearing from people that are friends of mine I've heard from in years. Like, hey, did you hear Wasp is back? Are you going to this show? We got to go to this show. Um, you you got to be picking up on some of that. And that's that's got to feel great, I would think. I mean, after all these years, 40 years doing this, you've really put a big jolt into people that haven't seen you in a while. And I always say absence makes the heart grow fonder. And you haven't been around in a while touring the U.S., but the excitement, I know a lot of these shows were advanced sellouts. Some are close to sold out already. That never happens 
in touring these days. So it's, this has all got to feel great to you, I would think. It's been really, really cool, you know, and I mentioned to you when we talked, you know, six months back that this all started with the groundswell of the fan base because they, you know, they were saying, you know, come to America, come to America. And, you know, as we had discussed, promoters out there didn't think that this could happen with us. And so basically I, I, I pointed the finger at the promoters, which was true, you know, because any band, I don't care who it is, They'll go anywhere if they're given a decent offer, you know, and that was certainly the case with us, you know, but the offers weren't there. So the fan base, and there was thousands of them that did this. It wasn't like, you know, a hundred people. There was thousands of them across the U.S. I, and I've never seen anything like this in all my years of doing this. And obviously technology with the Internet allows people to have a voice now where they maybe didn't 20 years ago, but... They literally went to promoters and started banging on their doors electronically, uh, you know, via social media, and said, hey, why don't you bring this band there? And the promoters, yeah, I'm sure it, it gave them some mild interest to begin with. But then, you know, once we said, okay, we would like to try this again, are you willing to do this? I think that stayed in their heads, what the fans had done. So, like I said, this was a groundswell that I had nothing to do with. So, in that sense, to watch what's happened, because, you know, some of these places sold out in 24 hours. And they weren't, you know, they weren't small places, you know, two to 3,000 theaters. And to watch that, that is enormously gratifying because that tells you, you think, well, you know, your fan base has gotten older. And, you know, do they still remember and to watch that happen, I don't care who you are, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it is, it's extremely gratifying. And at the same time, it's humbling because you start to realize, yes, you know, you're, you make the records and you write them and all that stuff, but if there's not somebody out there that appreciates what you do, it doesn't mean anything. You know, so it's, uh, it's a nice place to be. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, the tour wraps up December 11th in L.A. at the Will Turn, so there's a bunch of dates anywhere you're listening. Again, just go to the website, waspnation.com, and you can get the, see the VIP packages, all the tour dates, tickets, everything you need is right there on that site. Blackie, I know that early next year you're going to take this over to England and do the U.K. and other territories. Uh, have you thought about uh, new music? Have you thought about, is there a new record in the works, or are you just focusing on celebrating 40 years for now and playing live? Well, yay and yay. Uh, we, are, we had started working on a record, you know, over a year ago, and I'm hoping to be able to finish it sometime, sometime in January, February, before we start the European tour. It won't be out, you know, until after the, the tour is finished. But I'm hoping to have it, you know, wrapped up by the time we start. I mean, that's that's the plan. So, you know, you, you ever seen a dog in the middle of the floor chasing his butt? You know, <laughs> so that's what's going on here. Um, it is, I mean, it's just busy. And it's going to be like this for probably the next year. But then again, you know, we lost a big, all of us lost a big chunk of our lives, you know, with this pandemic. So it's... Um, you know, we're putting a hammer down on this, and uh, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to take this thing all over the world because we go to Europe in March, 
and then we'll do Australia after that, and then South America. And uh, we've got some plans for next summer, but I don't really want to get into that right now. And the record that you're working on uh, that you in, that, that you think will be the next Wasp record, is that going to be a concept record or no? You know what? What's in my heart right now, and this probably goes back to what I was, I was saying a, a little bit ago about the joy. I want this to be a rock and roll record, an old-time rock and roll record. You know, that's what I'm feeling. I mean, I... And it could be some sort of adverse reaction to what's going on in the world. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't really want to think about it that much. All I'm just following my gut right now. I want something that feels good. And that's where my head is right now. And I learned years ago, you make records based on who you are at that moment. And that's where I am at this moment. I want to do something that feels really good. As a songwriter, do you write on the road, or are you somebody that has to lock away in a room and just focus on it, or are you the guy that I'm on the bus, or I woke up in the middle of the night, or after a show you're writing? All the above, because I prefer now, if I can, to be locked away, uh, because it helps me focus. But there are times where things will come out of the blue, or sometimes you'll dream stuff. You know, I mean, it was, I was talking about Headless a while ago. I dreamt Headless with lyrics. You know, wow. those are always the best ones because you like you get them for free. You know, there's very little <laughs> labor involved. But you know, they say once a songwriter, always a songwriter, and you're always writing whether you realize it or not. You know, you're, you're recording that stuff subconsciously in your head. And I heard somebody, a uh, psychologist, describe it one time as there's a man, a little man that sits at the door, and he's a guard, and he keeps those doors locked. And the only way to get the stuff out a lot of times is trick him. And to trick him is usually in an alpha or a beta state, which is just before you go to sleep or just before you wake up, where he's kind of half there. And that's where those ideas will leak out sometimes. So it can it can happen in all those instances, like I said. But uh, when you dream them, you know, the, those are the best ones because you get them for free. I heard Billy Joel say one time he dreams all his. You know, so that would be the best way to have a song a songwriting career is just dream them. You wake up and they're there. Yeah, I can't tell you how many artists I've talked to have told me the same thing that they've dreamt some of their biggest songs and they've just mm -hmm. and then they'll wake up from the dream and while it's still in their head, they'll reach for their phone or their notepad and write the idea down so that they don't forget it. Exactly, and it's frustrating because if you're in deep sleep and you dream something, to get into the deep sleep and you hear it. And then as you're coming out of the deep sleep, it just somehow evaporates. And it's so frustrating because you can't remember what it is. And <laughs> this, furthermore, when I'm making a record, I'll get probably halfway into a record. And before songs are finished, I'll be trying to sleep. And I'll hear sometimes three songs in my head simultaneously. And I tell people, I go, imagine you're trying to sleep. And you have three radios going on set to different stations. And that's what it's like. And they're loud. And you can't turn them off. Right. And it's, it is maddening at the same time. And it's really frustrating. You know, because like I said, you're trying to rest because you know you got to rest because you're going to be in the studio the next day. And you got these three PA systems going on in your head at the same time. <laughs>
Yeah, I, I'm not a songwriter, and I have issues where I go. I have a song in my head out of nowhere, and I can't turn it off just trying to go right. to bed. Well, that's and that's a good point because probably everybody, you know, if they've got something really heavy going on and they can't sleep, okay. So imagine that, but imagine three of those going on, distinctively <laughs> different ones at the same time, and they're all occupying the same space. It'll, it's enough to drive you to drink. Yeah. Hey, last thing, and then I'll let you go and get back to rehearsal and prepping for this tour. Uh, totally unrelated to Wasp. I've known you for a long time, and I know you're a big baseball fan, and I know that you even played baseball at one point. So how are you feeling about the uh, four teams left? What's your prediction for the World Series? You know, with what's happened this year, I've not really had a chance to, to watch it like I normally do. I know your Mets got knocked out, and I was, I was surprised oh. at that, to be honest with you. You know, they're a good team. Um, but uh, I was really, really shocked at that. I thought that they would go further than they did. Uh, and to to be further honest, the teams that I thought, the Dodgers and the, and the Braves, that I thought would go the distance aren't there now. You know, so. Yeah, I can't believe uh, the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers and the Mets being out, two of the best records, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, the Mets gutted me, but the Dodgers were a surprise too because I think they had more wins than anybody in baseball this year. Well, you know what they say, it's not how many you win over the course of that 162 games. You know, it's who gets hot at the right time. And I've seen that my entire life watching sports. It doesn't matter what sport it is. You know, it's like who's clicking, you know, on all those cylinders at the moment they need them. Who's healthy? You know, you know, do you, is your bench deep enough? All those questions, you know, so and that always ends up being a thing because I can remember, you know, back to when I was a kid watching this kind of thing happen, and it's always the guys that you don't expect that's going to come up, you know, some five-foot-five shortstop that ends up hitting a game-winning home run who's hit three home runs all year, you know, and that I heard Sparky Anderson, you know, the, the great uh, manager from from the Reds and the Tigers, he said one time, he says, in those situations, in those big games, everybody's adrenaline's pumping. Anybody can hurt you at any moment. And pitchers know that. You know, so you got to, if you're out on that mound, you can't take anybody as a gimme when they come up to the plate. What position did you play when you played? I pitched and I played first and third base. You never were you. You were never in a mi with a minor league. I mean, there were rumors that you were you could have gone pro. I mean, what's the, what's the real story on that? How far did you well, get? Well, I had a chance to go play for the Reds farm system, but when I was seventeen, and I'll tell you a funny story related to the Mets. <clears throat> when I was seventeen, I really had to make a decision what I was going to do because I've been playing music since I was nine, you know, and I really had to choose because you you can't do both. And so I remember the last game that I was involved in. It was a city tournament, and we had we had won our division, and you know we were moving up the ladder. And a scout from the Mets came in, and I was pitching that day. And so he comes in the in the dugout, and he's asking me questions: height, weight, you know, where'd you go to school, how long you've been playing, all that stuff. They want to know your your entire background. And so I go out on the mound. Well, before the game had happened, about a, a week before the game, I was warming up in the bullpen, and I pulled a muscle in my, the right side of my rib cage. And it was pretty bad, but I wanted to pitch this game. 
And so I had an ACE bandage wrapped around my, my rib cage really tight. I mean, I could, I could barely breathe. And so at 17, I was already, you know, in the low 90s you know, as far as velocity. Wow. And so the first guy came up, and I walked him because I was struggling to, uh, to, to control because that ACE bandage I was wearing. And so I thought, and the guy, the scout from the Mets, he's sitting right behind home plate. And I'm watching, he's writing down everything I'm doing with every pitch, right? And he's, it's distracting, to, to, to be honest. And I thought, okay, next guy coming up, I'm going to impress the hell out of this guy. And I, I reared back probably the hardest ball I've ever thrown in my life and hit this kid square in the side of the neck. And he went down like he had been hit with a three fifty seven magnum. And I thought, shit, I killed this kid, right? <laughs> and he didn't get, he didn't get up. You know, he just lay there and I thought, he's dead, you know. And I looked and the the scout from the Mets, he had a briefcase with him. He put his notes inside the briefcase and he got up and he just strolled out of the ballpark and I thought, Well, I ain't playing for the Mets now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what could have been, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we might never have had blind in Texas, or we you never might have had Love Machine, have. or I Want to Be Somebody, or any of those great songs. So I'm I'm kind of glad as a rock fan it worked out the way it worked out. Although, would have been cool if you were on my Mets. That could have been cool, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> listen, bud, it's always great to catch up with you. Everybody go to wasp.nation.com, find your dates, find your info, and go see Wasp 40th Anniversary Tour uh, first time in about 10 years touring in America. And I'm definitely going to get out there and catch one or two of these somewhere, Blackie, and uh, appreciate you the time to. today. You got to come by and say hi. Yeah, for sure, man. And for those uh, listening, uh, for those going to the shows, Armored Saint opening all the dates. And if you're going to shows in Texas or Oklahoma, you also get Michael Schenker in there, too. So it's a great bill across the board. Um, great talking you know, to you, man. Some, I want to say something yeah, about ahead. Armored Saint real quick. Yeah. I was looking at something the other day, and we're going to put this out a few days before it happens. We played a show together at the Troubadour in 1982. It was a Halloween show, and it was October 30th, 1982. Now, for, the, for a band to last four or five years is a miracle for any band. To last 40 years is almost unheard of. For two bands that have lasted 40 years to be playing again 40 years later on the same yeah. night, man, the planets have to align for that to happen. For I've sure. never heard of that ever happening before. So on October, October 30th, and I believe we are in uh, Arizona, that will be the 40th anniversary of the first time we played together. So I just, a little bit of trivia I thought was very, very cool. Yeah, that is very cool. And yes, October 30th, you are in Tempe at the Marquee Theater. So that is exactly mm -hmm. where you will be. All right, man, listen, uh, great talking to you. Good luck warming up and rehearsing the rest of the way and fine-tuning it. And, uh, and best of luck on the road. I'll be in touch. All right, bud. We'll see you soon. Take care, Blackie. Thank you. Bye now. Well, the Wasp Tour is now, of course, started and is out there on the road right now. So there's a little update from Blackie. And hope you enjoyed that conversation with him as Wasp currently on the road in the U.S. for the first time in about 10 years. And uh, again, thanks earlier to Miles and Mark from Alter Bridge. Their new album is out now called Pawns and Kings. Appreciate you listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe. 
New episodes every Thursday so you never miss one. Be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and on the Facebook page. Thanks to producer Joel Pollock. And uh, be sure to join me if you have Sirius or XM Radio every day talking rock with you for Trunk Nation, Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern Time, live. Nightly re-airs most nights, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on 103. Faction Talk is where you'll hear the show over the air. And listen anytime you want through the Sirius XM app, on demand or live. Just go there and punch in Trunk Nation in the search. Have a good week, everybody. I'll catch you next Thursday for another all-new episode, or if you're in the U.S. or Canada, hopefully on Sirius XM. Take care.